coming up on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and special guest, Margaret Moore, executive coach and trainer, also the founder of Wellness Coaches. How can a wellness coach help you prepare for your journey in this life? Do you value a healthy life as you age? Do you avoid situations that could alter your life? This and more coming up next here on YHTV. This week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today for The Wellness Coach. I'm Christina Suzama and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Greetings, everyone, and Christina. (laughs) Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your host and medical guide along with Christina today as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Uh, If you have any interest in stretching your mind, pay attention and follow us today as we speak with Margaret Moore. But before we introduce Margaret to our uh, audience, Christina, how do people get in touch with us? Mm, At any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast, give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, You're welcome. So today we're uh, honored to be speaking with Margaret Moore. She's an MBA, but she's also... Uh, a social entrepreneur, an author, a lecturer, an inventor, and the former and the founder and CEO of Well Coaches Corporation. We're going to discuss many things with her about the mind and emotions and and coaching. But uh, before we do all that, I want to say hello, Margaret Moore, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. Well, thank you, Glenn and Christina. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for being with us and honoring our global community, Margaret. So, Margaret, as the medical guide, I usually tell our audience what we're going to be discussing today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about your books, many books, and we're going to talk about uh, your wellness coaching and the things that you do. But uh, I've thought about the possibility. I noticed on your website that it says Margaret, a.k.a. Meg, or Coach Meg. And so I decided that when I ask you questions and I call you Margaret, I'm going to look for things like concrete, linear, organized uh, answers. Mm -hmm. When I call you Meg, I'm going to look for abstract, lateral thinking, creative uh, answers. Is that okay with you? That, yes, that's great. Those are the two sides of me. You've got them pegged. Uh, excellent. <laughs> so, Margaret, uh, we we see that you're an MBA, but all of your work seems to be about coaching and wellness and everything. How does an MBA become a wellness coach? Tell us that story. 
Yes. Well, my first career was in the biotechnology industry, which is a great place for a linear thinker um, because it's very science-based and very um, based on research and development and moving um, big drugs through the pipeline. And, and I'm a biologist as well. I would say the biology part matters as much as the MBA. Um, you know, the, the notion of um, business is really, at, at its best, is having a vision for a better world. You know, building things that last, building things that matter. And my vision way back um, in 2000 or just before that was that the healthcare system is totally focused on disease care and taking care of people when things go badly wrong, and it does that beautifully. Um, but now we know that 75% of our health is driven by our own self-care and how we engage every day in our own health and well-being. And we just didn't have any professional in the health space that was responsible for that, that knew how to do that, that knew how to be a role model for that. And so my vision was to really build a new professional in healthcare who would be focused on the self-care side, the prevention side. Um, and in the long run, and it probably will be the long run, you know, really balance healthcare between sick care and self-care. Hmm. I look at when I do my work as a medical guide, I certainly look at the treatments of illness and injuries and things like that. Uh, and I also look at prevention, but I also look at it as preparation. Because even though we try to prevent things, we can't always do that. So we may mm -hmm. as well be prepared. And I think that that's where a lot of the work that you do is, isn't it? Yes, I mean, the, the, one has to think about the motivation, the purpose of health. And, for, you know, for those of us who are, we might call ourselves health nuts, we actually engage in it because we really value it and we do it every day. It's part of who our identity is. But that's not the mainstream. For most people, they want a great life. Health is just the means. It's not the end. And, and so the value of health is really related to the end that you want, which means living well, living well if you do get sick. Um, and so we have to help people frame their health in that larger context of their lives for them to really value it and then get prepared or, or to prevent as well. It seems like the value of health only comes when someone's sick or injured. So is that what, what you try to do to get it from a back burner until you're sick or injured yeah. into a front burner? Yeah, you have to be careful how you do that because um, it, there's research that shows that after people have heart attacks, even when their doctor says, you're going to die if you don't change your life, only 7% of people respond to that, that, you know, the avoidance of death is not a powerful motivator for most people. So what coaches really focus on is helping you imagine your ideal future, for your own life, you know, who is your best self? What does that look like? And then think about um, how health is critical in order for you to have what you really want. So how mm. do you, you know, you first have to really, um, I mean, if you help people really value their lives and their future, then it's it almost comes with the package that people want to take better care of themselves because they want that future and they want to feel good and they want to be independent and they want to flourish, whatever those things that are meaningful are. 
Yes, it seems like uh, doctors have always used fear as a motivator, and it certainly seems to work in the moment. But then over time, as you say, with all the statistics and the findings that we have, that over time, that fear factor disappears and they go back to old habits. Right. Yeah. There's two kind. There's many ways to look at motivation, but one framework is that we are either avoiding bad things or approaching good things. And um, there is a place for motivating yourself to avoid back bad things. Like if you're a, working in a nuclear power plant and you want to avoid a disaster, then you've got to spend a lot of time, you know, avoiding bad things. Um, people or lawyers or financial people that are looking at risks are spending a lot of time avoiding bad things. But mm. when it comes to um, much of what we do as humans, you know, we're much more drawn to the su- the magnetic quality of the warm sun and the good and the positive. Mm, you know, that, like that energizes us. Whereas when you try to avoid something bad, um, it takes you down a downward spiral and it may not have lasting impact. Oh, that's, that is interesting. Uh, and it's fascinating. I, I, I see a lot of studies now on changing be- human behavior, which is really what we need to do. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, uh, so you have now become a wellness coach, but more than that, you actually train wellness coaches. And I want to talk about uh, what, what's the difference between a personal trainer and a wellness coach, or are they similar? Right. Okay. Uh, they're they're actually very different. So uh, the the it's better to to look at coaches as part of the broader coaching industry, which really starts with executive coaches and leadership coaches that work with managers and leaders in organizations to um, improve their performance and their um, and their day to day ability to lead and manage others, uh, or life coaches who are helping you design the life that you want. Personal training is, um, and I have a trainer who I love, um, is focused on the act of exercising in a mindful way. You know, mostly it has to do with strength training because generally you don't hire a trainer to go for a run with you. But, you know, you're really learning and practicing um, the art and science of moving your muscles and strengthening your muscles and, and using them well. And so that is an expert model where the trainer is supervising the routine that he or she's given you. Um, coaching is really almost the opposite um, um, perspective because first we're not working on your body we're working on your mind um, so you really can't do both at the same time because if you're moving your body mindfully then you're not thinking about other things in the ideal um, situation what we're focused on is the 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 workout of the mind and helping you build the mindsets that will allow you to you know sustain the way of life that makes you healthy and happy um, and that's a deep conversation about things that are meaningful to you and things that you're wanting to get better at. Um, and it's an, it's a, a largely a nonlinear conversation done well mm. it's because, because you're really helping people create a new way of looking at things. So the way you live today, you know, the sum total of all your habits is the box that you're living in, right? It's the, it's the, um, it's the way you are, the way you live your life, the way things are. And 
when you're in a perspective, which is like, I don't have any time to exercise or there's no way I could go to bed any earlier or that, you know, I don't have, I, I just don't have the energy to cook. People are boxed in by those perspectives and, and unable really to get past them. So we have to kind of get people out of their box, looking for something bigger and more, um, inspiring really in terms of where their life is going and then look at their health in that that larger context so it's a deep rich fun uh, mm-hmm. often light conversation about stuff that people don't talk to talk about most of the time i heard a, a great phrase the other day people were talking about getting out of their box and someone said why not yeah. just expand the box <laughs> yeah well, you can do it either way. I mean, it's the same thing because I, the way I love the way the neuro, the neuroscientists have taught us to think about neuroplasticity. So, mm-hmm. Alvaro Pasqualioni, one of my favorite people, is a neurologist at Beth Israel, and he's an expert in neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And um, what he's he teaches us is that you can build a millimeter of new neural networks in your brain per day, one millimeter. So your box doesn't grow too quickly, <laughs> right? Right. It grows slowly. So, and it's always you know. So your the the networks in your brain are what are um, underpinning your thinking, your beliefs, your emotions, your behavior. Right. That's your software. I think the software analogy works quite well here. So you're basically adding to your software. And um, and done well, you're in, you're doing it on a wide basis. So you're integrating your emotions and your thoughts and your behaviors and your memories and your sensations and your intuition. So you're activating all parts of your brain and building the network, you know, in a broad way, so that a year from now, you look at your life completely differently. You know, you just are. Your identity's changed. What you do has changed. So you have really reinvented yourself. But you're now in a larger box. That's true. It's still, it, you know, I, I don't know how, whether we ever get out of our boxes. <laughs> right. Maybe when we die. But um, we're always I, limited by the limits to our consciousness. It seems most people go into a box when they die. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the body does. The mind doesn't. But that's there you go. A, a millimeter a day. That's pretty impressive. When I was in medical school, we didn't think that the brain grew at all. Or, True. Or yeah, that, we've made some headway here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That <laughs> was that Part a pun? pun. <laughs> <laughs> like that. That Meg. Way to go. <laughs> so people, people. Uh, decide they need a wellness coach. How do they find one and how do they choose the right one? Yeah, it's a good point. Well, um, at Well Coaches, because we've trained 10,000 health professionals as coaches, so we've got the largest cadre of coaches out there. Um, and if you go to wellcoaches.com, you can find a button that says find a coach and uh, that will take you to a search site. So that's one option. Another is uh, Duke University. Um, their integrative medicine uh, branch has an integrative health coaching program. They also have a registry of coaches. Mm-hmm. So you can go to Duke Integrative Health Coach. And then the International Coach Federation has the registry as well, although that's for all kinds of coaches. Um, so those are those are different ways to do it. I mean, it, 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 it's very important, you know, like choosing your doctor or a therapist or um, a chiropractor, any helping professional, it's, it is very important to find someone that that 
um, works for you because you want to leave every coaching session being energized. You know, what are you the wanna, questions you, you want to ask? Uh, you'd want to learn about uh, their, I mean, coaches mostly are doing this as their second career. So they've got a rich history usually. Mm-hmm. So you want to understand where they came from. Why are, how did they become a coach? What do they consider the key um, uh, tools of a coach? What's their track record with their clients? Um, who do they fit best with? Uh, and then ask for a, you know, a bit of a practice session, you know, have your, have asked the coach, here's the issue I'm dealing with right now. Let's work on it. And in 15 minutes, you're a good coach will help you get past whatever that is or get around it in some way. So you want to try it out as well. Oh, I love that. A practice session. That's really, really good. Uh, so what does it take for a person who might be listening to this uh, podcast who wants to be a wellness coach? What's the training for that? Yes. Well, one of my um, social endeavors is the, is the has been building national standards. So we have now set national standards for the training and education of health and wellness coaches. So uh, you want to look for... Um, I mean, there's, there's now, we were alone for, you know, at the beginning in, you know, 2000, there's now 50 programs, although a lot of them are small academic programs. So you want to choose carefully. Um, uh, There is a full listing at the International Consortium for Health and Wellness Coaching. um, So you can find all the possibilities there. Uh, It really depends on um, I mean, you can go so far as do a, doing a master's degree. Uh, you can. We're a private program, and we cater to people who have full-time jobs and and want to want a really efficient um, way to get up the learning curve. You know, within a few months, not years. So, um, so we're among the more affordable and um, and also innovative programs. So you want to find when you join a coaching organization it's a tribe you know it's a it's a mm-hmm. a, a, a community of people and you know we are for instance focused on lifestyle medicine and mainstream health quite a few programs do in a, integrative health coaching and so they have a different flavor there's a functional medicine um, coaching group so we each have our own personalities and our own styles and um, it's really uh, an, an opportunity to kind of figure out which which culture will fit best for you because it is a long-term investment and ideally you're part of that community for a long time. Well, that's great. I, I like that. So you have gone beyond just being a, <clears throat> a wellness coach. You actually train wellness coaches and you have taken this to a, another level. How does the how does the American Medical Association and the medical profession itself uh, look at uh, wellness coaching? Yes, yeah, so we call it we've we've put together health and wellness coaching together so that there isn't two worlds there, you know, the clinician as the health coach and the non-clinician as the wellness coach. so we've we've unified us all under one umbrella. So uh, the good news here is that, um, the, this international consortium I was talking about uh, has partnered with the National Board of Medical Examiners. That's one. I, that's a, a collaboration that I spearheaded. The National Board of Medical Examiners is the group that's been um, delivering physician licensing exams for the last hundred years. So they're extremely well regarded, prestigious. 
um, member of the House of Medicine, and they had identified independently that health coaching was the next big thing and wanted to be involved. And our consortium had brought the field together about a dozen thought leaders and everybody under one umbrella. And so we came together uh, two years ago um, and we just launched the first national board certification for health and wellness coaches. So that's beginning. The visibility is still getting started there. And uh, we're just about to, to reach out to the AMA, the American Medical Association and others. But we have a lot of support from the um, the medical associations that are already affiliated with healthy lifestyles. So the American College of Sports Medicine, American College of Preventive Medicine, there's new uh, new American College of Lifestyle Medicine, the American Board of Integrative Medicine. So there's a, already a number of medical groups that really are behind us. A lot of physicians are going through coach training themselves. So um, so the next phase really is to build that credibility in both healthcare and the corporate, like employer wellness and community, all those settings across the board. Um, one of my current projects is to uh, find the way to have the wellness coach or health and wellness coach be an added provider to the prevention codes used in primary care, for example, so that a coach could be hired by primary care practice to deliver those codes. So that's one of the next steps that we need to make. Nice. Congratulations on all that. I would imagine that having your MBA helped you organizationally with those kind of skills. Uh, yeah, see, that's right, because I spent 17 years in a corporate career, you know, in um, big pharmaceutical companies, um, vaccines companies, lived in four countries. So, yeah, I did the corporate thing, um, and uh, it has come in handy <laughs> in this round. <laughs> so, Meg, uh, I'm curious, there are lots of people that look at themselves and decide, do I have the ability to become a personal trainer or a wellness coach or something? Mm-hmm. What what are the qualifications it takes to be someone who organizes all of this and becomes the trainer of wellness mm-hmm. coaches and all of that? I mean, what, how, how did I get here in terms yeah, of being is, in that what space? Is, what, yeah. what, what does it require? Yeah, what does it require? In other words, someone that someone may have the qualifications to be a wellness coach, but then they want to take it to a higher level. Like level. You. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, you know, the first, the first, I didn't actually start out to become a coach. I started out to, to build the field and, um, was found myself having to coach, in public in order to show what it was and to make it clear that it was different from other roles and conversations that people have. And uh, what I would say, and I didn't know I had the ability until I did it, but you've really got to love people's stories and have Mm -hmm. immense amount of curiosity, compassion, um, uh, in in others and a real open mind. You know, this is a place where judgment doesn't work. You know, you've really got to set aside your own agenda and your own needs, and sidle up to people and have a conversation that sparks them to change. And um, I don't know whether we'll ever find the genetic code that underpins that skill set, but mm. some of us 
you know, are just naturals. Like when I started, there was no curriculum, so we had to build it intuitively. Um, and it is it is more of a nonlinear. Coaching is more nonlinear than linear. It is a creative process. It is an open adventure. You don't know where it's going to go. You arrive at every session. I mean, you might have a protocol, but at the end of the day, you don't know where people are going to go. They don't know where they're going to go. So it's a real emergent process. And um, a lot of people love becoming a coach because they discover, discover their creative side that might have not had a chance to surface. So first is you've just got to be really, you've got to love doing it and find some kind of natural intuitive it's the there's a term we use and i led a team that created a theory around this long time ago but called the intuitive dance of coaching coaching is an intuitive dance and now we've got the neuroscience coordinates for intuition you know we know that the default region of the brain and other regions are nonlinear, and so now it's not this woo-woo thing there are parts of the brain that are really good at nonlinear intuitive processes the heart of coaching is an intuitive process and so you have to really unlock your own intuition. And then and then you've got to be able to get above all that kind of using meta-awareness and to see what you're doing to be able to teach it. So you can do it and not be able to teach it because you're in an emergent situation. But then you also have to have some ability to synthesize and see the patterns and be able to see what you did and why you did it to be able to teach it. So you have to you have to be able to do it and then you've got to be able to to sort of deconstruct what you're doing as well. And that's really how I got where I am because I did it and then I would you know I learned from the theory, I went back to the theory, I talked to the the the, the gurus in the major theories. And then you begin to see okay, well that's what what I did with that question which was intuitive. I didn't wasn't thinking about why I was going that direction when I went that direction. But when I look back on it later, oh yeah, that really makes sense because in that moment this person needed more of that or more of this. So it's this interplay between intuition and and the intellectual sort of pattern finding. Um, and if you can if you can operate in those two ways, you then can begin to teach it because you can then, you know, it's that that's the difference between um, having a theory and not having a theory. The theory gives you the framework, right? So that then mm -hmm. you have some way, uh, some some ability to show people what the framework is. So that then they become ultimately, then they use your handrails and then eventually they become intuitive and it becomes natural. I think that was a great answer. Christina, I know that uh, when you hear things like intuitive, uh, that excites you and you start bouncing. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> of course, as usual, so many questions. So, Margaret, what I'm hearing is, is um, if... For example, if I were to come and say, I would like to learn to be a wellness coach, um, there really isn't parameters per for a prerequisite in doing oh, this. Okay, well, that, yeah, so let's just talk about that because there are two different ways to look at this. Um, and, and this is up in the air. So at Well Coaches, we require for our our well coaches certification, um, and we use the trade name well coach. Um, we require that you have some health, health health background, and there's four different paths to that. You know whether it's a degree 
in a related area or a clinical license or in the fitness arena that doesn't have national standards, a degree plus a reputable fitness certification. Um, so we have requirements, but we did not set those requirements on the national level. Um, partly because it's hard to know where to draw the line. You know, we got you got everybody wanting. You know, I'm a dental assistant. I'm a, uh, a an a emergency medical tech. You know, a lot of people are close to healthcare, but you know, and not a lot of health professions have a lot of training and education in living in well-being, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even if you have a nursing background or whatever, you're still missing that. So we didn't, we did not set a requirement for health background. However, what we're going to find out over time is whether that background impacts outcomes. Mm-hmm. So it, it, if I had to guess, I think that you do need to have some health sciences background just to be, to, to avoid um, doing something that would be harmful. You know, you need to understand the scope of practice. You need to stay out of the way of the medical prescriptions. You know, there's some really important, mm-hmm. you need to know when someone needs therapy. You know, there's some things that you get from some training in health sciences that you won't just know off the street. So I do think it's important. But when it comes to your coaching ability, uh, the the non like the non health professionals that that for whom this is a second career like me, um, often are naturals and have a better understanding of the the world the world people live in than the the folks who've lived in the clinical, um, you know, disease focus yes. of healthcare. So it you're not necessarily and naturally a better coach because you live in healthcare. You in fact might be prone to focus on what's wrong with people. And to tell people what to do, whereas if you've worked in other backgrounds, you might be more open. So I, I think that the qualities of a coach are probably independent of your background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you need to have some health background just to, play, to make sure you're uh, not taking risks and you're not putting people into a place of harm. But other than that, you know, there's... Um, being a coach is, you know, it's something that you've got to love to do, to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is really, it's the, the ability to step out of the way and, and facilitate someone else's growth. I mean, it's I'm kind of, uh, you know, if you, if, if the other person, if your client is the one that needs to, to grow their brains, then the change has to happen in their minds, not ours. So we're actually making them think about new things in new ways through questions and reflections and the way we facilitate the conversation. So we are really, um, we're helping them change their minds and have new insights through that conversation. So it's nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're really helping them think about things in new ways. Um, And and that's a very creative enterprise. Mm -hmm. And you and you get to you know eventually you get a, a a sense for what people are missing and where you need to go, where the growth edge is, where are they stuck, and how do you get them past that? So so uh, at this point in time, it's a certification that people would receive through the training. Yes. Yeah. I see. Yeah, and it's a dual certification because the program you go through will give you a certification, and then the national board certification is the second step. I see. Very nice. And so most of the coaching is done one-on-one or are there group sessions as well in the means of, Both. let's just say if you're a coach, um, do you do only one-on-one personal coaching or can you do a group coaching? Um, uh, coaches, 
do both. Now, we mm-hmm. haven't in the national standards embedded group coaching competencies yet, so that still does need to be codified, but um, most coaches find themselves in situations where they're doing both. They're both doing in-person and group, mm. and it's really important that coaches can facilitate groups. Um, they are often teaching um, classes as well. You know, they're not just coaches, so they're usually that usually coaches have a combination of things they do, you know, teaching, coaching, group coaching, um, so that they are, they have, you know, some diversity in their work lives. Mm, mm. Lovely. And, and now you say you have 10,000 strong. Yeah. So well coaches is yeah. Over 10,000 health professionals, uh, trained now roughly half of those don't become coaches. So mm-hmm. a lot of folks become, you know, go through coach training because they use it in their own, their work lives or they, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can, many people say that the training itself has made them a better parent, made them a better spouse, a teacher. So these are general skills. When you can help someone else grow, those skills apply everywhere. Mm-hmm. So not everybody wants to become a coach or they don't, they may want to do it later, you know, when they're retired and, and doing um, their business from Bermuda or Barbados or where. They <laughs> that sounds to great to me. Live. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. Margaret, you're a student of uh, biology, neuroscience, psychology, uh, and human nature. And in your books, you talk a lot about mind. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what what is mind? Well, should, should I have said Meg? Uh, well, I'll, I'll make sure they're integrated here. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. I figured that would have well, to happen. Well, here... Here, this is how I think about it. You know, there. If you know Dan Siegel, um, he's the only one that has ventured a definition of the mind um, that I've seen um, that is well thought through. And uh, and I, I've got a sort of simpler version, which is I think the mind is an energy field. You know, that uh, made up of a energy form that we don't have the tools to measure at the moment. You know, we just don't. We haven't got there. I mean, you think about the energy of an emotion you know, the energy of um, your motivation, it's clearly energy and there's a lot of different kinds of it, you know, some of Mm -hmm. it pushes, some of it pulls, you know. So I think it's an energy field that is um, probably larger than the body, you know, it probably, um, and and, and, and interconnects with the collective consciousness. Um, And and in Dan Siegel's terms, he describes it as emergent and self-organizing. So I I can imagine there being this kind of, you know, integration of a soul or whatever a consciousness is when you're born and wherever it goes with, you know, the body, the biological body. And that interaction with, you know, the biology creates who we are. and um, And we have some control over it. However, a lot of who we are, a lot of the the energy is below our conscious awareness. Um, and so, you know, being human is really understanding more and more about how your mind works or doesn't work and how to um, how to navigate it. You know, it's not it's not our linear minds um, are really attached to the idea of controlling things and having, 
um, you know, a sense of control over who we are and what we do and what we think. Um, but, you know, many scientists are showing that that's just not the case, that a lot of what we do is coming from below our conscious uh, awareness and we make we we rationalize it later and the way i think about it as a coach is if you think about the mind this is a different metaphor but if you think of it like an iceberg you know where a lot of it's submerged mm-hmm. and um coaches work right at the waterline you know right where you're kind of awakening to hey i really want to get to point b in my life but i for some reason it's elusive you know i'm not exactly sure I've tried different things. I just don't quite know how to get there. And so we're helping people kind of navigate that increase in consciousness so that they become more, they're able to um, navigate their own mental world better. Um, So, you know, it aligns a lot with the field of mindfulness, which is really about being uh, more awake to how your mind works and how to make it work better. So um, the other way I think about it I wrote a blog about this recently in my my most recent book, which is a book based on the idea that the mind is multiple, has multiple sub-personalities. My blog was called, you know, Is There a Solar System in the Mind Sky? Oh, nice. And... And the 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 way I experience my mind is that there are there is a solar system that the may not look like one, but the but the planets are parts of me that are all you know I don't know how whether they're orbiting or what they're doing, but <laughs> but they're definitely coming in and out of my conscious awareness. You know, like one you know you you get activated by something, you you know you get triggered, and so and then all of a sudden you feel surge of anger or you know, fear or something. Um, and so I, I think the mind is multiple. There, there are multiple agendas, multiple parts of us, which is why it's so hard to understand who we are because there's too many things to keep track of. And, and that that's constantly evolving and changing throughout life. And at best, we can just kind of dance with it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and enjoy it and recognize that, we don't know how the next moment is going to pull on us. And, you know, there is a wonderful quote, and I'm not quoting it exactly, but, you know, the mind is like a kaleidoscope in relation to the, our experience, and, the, and the, our experiences are pulling out different facets of our minds all the time. And so, we're. this is why I think coaching works for today, because coaching is emergent. It allows you know, it allows us to emerge um, in a dance with the universe, if you want to put it that way, um, and and uh, you know, let go of what we can't control and and direct what we can, but stay in this place of flow, more like the way um, the tide works, you know, like ebbing and flowing in mm. in your life, as opposed to bumper cars, which is the way our minds <laughs> often. Feel. <laughs> I like that. So anyway, it's- so those are a few of the things I think about. <laughs> I like that. It seems like uh, you've you've put it out there as a dance or a, a dynamic uh, equilibrium between having control and letting go. Yeah, I think that it's a it's a Taoism. It's a yin yang kind of principle. Exactly. That we are yin or yang, and then the opposite is what's out there or what's you know and uh, and which I think helps us let go of 
the stuff that we call our ego, you know, the, the needs and the attachments and all of that, you know, when, the more you see yourself as, um, um, as in a partnership with the universe, um, I, when I, I used to think about it as a really, for me, in my mind, it was like a tennis match. <laughs> I hit the ball hard. I get it back hard. You know. Now oh. I'm now I'm not playing tennis as much, <laughs> or like the wave. That's a good metaphor. Get on the sideline and watch the game. <laughs> so you you've written a number of books. Organize your emotions. Optimize your life. Uh, organize your mind. Organize your life. And coaching psychology manual. Uh, how did writing these books change your life, and what do you think it did for other lives? Well, the coaching psychology manual is a rich and succinct distillation of all the um, theories and practices of coaching that we, it was 10 of us that worked together for eight years before the first manual was produced, and then it, the second version came out. Uh, two years ago. So that's a collective uh, work that is science-based, but it's a rich read. Um, so you really have a sense for what it means to be a coach and how to be uh, a catalyst for other people's growth. Uh, so that was kind of the starting point. The Organize Your Mind book was uh, landed in my lap. I was asked to co-author it with a neuroscientist, sorry, with a psychiatrist who's an expert in attention deficit disorder. And uh, it's based on the principles of um, the, dis the, the organized mind based on their absence in the disorganized mind of someone that has attention deficits. Uh, so it's grounded in, you know, the science of attention deficit disorder. And I partnered with the psychiatrist who wrote the science part. And then I talked about how to translate that into uh, self-coaching. And that got me into a whole new world of mapping different brain states. Um, and I have uh, a two-dimensional GPS for the mind now with 14 different brain states that I've, uh, with, I've worked on with a collaborator and a whole course on teaching people which state they're using when. And, and it deconstructs mindfulness into multiple states because mindfulness is not just one state. There's multiple different um, multiple things that people conflate into one notion. And um, so that helped me understand what mindfulness really was and, and, and be clear about what it is, at, at what, what its different facets are. You know, so meta-awareness is different from open awareness is different from narrow awareness is different from, um, you know, the absence of mindfulness and mind wandering. And so we mapped all that out. So that's a lot of fun. So if you're really interested in, uh, we teach this to coaches, you know, to understand that you can use multiple brain states in a, in a session. So you're basically using your linear, your nonlinear, your sensory, your intuition, your um, um your your meta awareness, you know, zooming out, zooming in. So there's so that's a lot of fun. I love playing around with that um, that model. And then the third book, um, I think, really does get at the fundamentals of um, the ultimately the genetics of human thriving. You know, what are the main parts of the human personality or psyche or mind? that 
drive our needs and and motivations and strengths and capacities. And I've since mapped the inner family of nine personalities to um, Jung's cognitive processes. There are eight of them and to uh, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram. And I think there's one system, basically. We all, different models, different personality models are looking at it, looking at different parts of the elephant, so to speak. But there is one and as a biologist, I you know you you know and you, you'd understand this, Glenn, that the, the physics and chemistry and biology have exquisite order, along with the chaos. You know, if you look at through electron microscope at a a leaf or a um, a cell, you know the scaffolding, the order is unbelievably beautiful. And I think the mind can't be different than that. It's got to have some kind of structure that is hard to get at. So, um, so really this latest work, uh, is I think the most fundamental work. And it, if you, you then can take that model and all the others I've done before can be fit into it. So coaching is essentially drawing out all of those nine agendas done well. Um, and using all aspects of our brains done well. So I think that's really the piece where I'm where I'm going now is to um, better understand that and from and then teach it and and hopefully not scare people off by the idea that they've got nine characters in their minds. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you. I think uh, it is exquisite. There's no question about it. And I watched uh, one of your talks on the mapping of the mind and it it was a little complex at first but as you watch it and understand it and get into it more and listen to it a couple of times it it makes a lot of sense and i really recommend this to everyone to take the opportunity to look at some of that you have some youtube videos and i think some ted talks that explain some of those things so i would really uh encourage all of our viewers and listeners to Tap into that. It'll give you a lot of insight into uh, how your own mind works and and how to improve yourself and stretch your mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talk about uh, tools to develop and stretch the mind, which we talked about, and change the mind. So I want to talk about those tools, but I'd like to... Well, give me me a moment on that, and then I want to talk to you about... Um, the six aspects of optimal health that I always talk about and see how you would apply some of those tools to each of those aspects. So are you thinking about tools in terms of coaching oneself or coaching others or what were, where's your frame here? You know, I, I, I kind of, uh, when I said it, it was about coaching others, but certainly coaching yourself, I think is one of the most important things. So I'd like to focus on that. Coaching yourself. Yeah, well, so let me let me just kind of do a quick tour around the wheel then um, of the human personality and put it in that frame. So, first is autonomy. So, um, one of the fiercest needs of humans, as shown by more than a thousand papers in self determination theory, is the um, need, desire, drive, strength of being autonomous, which means um, being. Uh, your own true true to yourself, authentic, knowing your values, marching to your own drummer, you know, cap being the captain of your ship, you know, being the author of your destiny, all those terms we use. 
Um, so, so piloting your own life. And, and one of the reasons coaching has emerged today is because, um, we now, the science now shows that we have this fierce need for autonomy. And, uh, up until now, a lot of what we do has been to take away people's autonomy. So, uh, the expert model telling people what to do, you know, the hierarchical model. So first getting real clear on what you want, not what other people want for you. Then the next would be the creative piece, which is the, really the imagination to imagine the better future that you want. Um, and to really, uh, visualize that because that provides your brain with, um, destination and it's a lot easier to get there when you're clear on where you want to land. Even if it takes your lifetime to get there, it's like setting the compass. It's like setting the direction. Um, and then you've really got to be open for the adventure of change because you never know what's going to happen once you step out toward some new uh, way of being. And that means you got to be comfortable with uh, being uncomfortable. You know, hmm. that you're, if you're growing, you're not comfortable. And, uh, and that means uh, it's about taking risk. It's about change. So you've got to... And you've got to let go of performing and focus more on learning. Um, and then the next thing is you've you've really got to, the thing we have to build, what is really the new software in the brain is the new skills, the new knowledge, the new competence. So life is in a way a journey of building more and more competence and more and more complex software in your brain to do more and more complex things. So, So that's the habits and practices and goals, all the things that you're doing that allow you to build that wiring. Um, and then it works a lot better when you have support, you know, whether it's a coach that's um, really in your mind with you. So you've got two minds working together in a creative collaboration um, or other people that cheer you on. So you're not alone. Um, you've got a support team. Um, and, and then all the way through this, there needs to be some kind of higher purpose and calling. Like it's when we do things for reasons beyond ourselves, um, we are more perse- we persevere more, we persist more. You know, when it's about something bigger than ourselves, it calls us to be our best. It calls us to our higher selves. So you know, taking the time to just reconnect with the meaning of why this is important every day is is also really valuable. And then after that, you know, be creative. Every day is a creative exercise, you know, to create a new life is a creative exercise. And like, and so to do that, you got to let go of try to control things and just see where the process takes you. Well, I think this, uh, this answer you just gave is something that people will want to listen to a couple of times, because I think you really covered a lot of you tapped into the things that people really need to recognize for change. So thank you for that. You're really good. So I want to do an assorted platter here. Most of the people that listen to this show know that, know that I talk about six aspects of, of life that need to be addressed for optimal health. And I'd like to go over each one of those with you and then maybe you know just a quick tip on change or improvement or creativity mm-hmm. We could, you could give each of us a hint for that. So, one category is exercise. Well, gosh, you know, uh, when you say it, it makes me realize how the word exercise makes 
this a small endeavor instead of a really big endeavor. So moving the body is what makes the the brain work best. You know, the blood flow, the um, the mind-body experience. You know, you're more creative when you keep changing position, moving to different rooms, moving to different settings. So I think you got to bring your body into your life, really, and start using it more and being in it more and um, and finding the way to do that that you really enjoy. Um, so, you know, we know that if you want to prevent dementia and Alzheimer's, you, you know, one of the top things to do is cardiovascular exercise. So that means you want to get your heart pumping somehow, um, whatever that is, whatever you enjoy to do. Um, we definitely need to stretch. I remember uh, the quote that um, we don't get stiff when we get old. We get old when we get stiff. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so love that. <laughs> so Great we one. need flexibility and then we need muscles. We got to build our muscles because that's what keeps us getting out of chairs and and driving cars and you know so um so you need to move you need to get your heart pumping so that it gets lots of blood going to your and nutrients going to your brain. You need to move your muscles or you stiffen up and get old and you need to strengthen yourself. So I think we need to see the body as part of what it much more integrated part of being human and to, and then to feed it well to nourish it well to move it well um and when you look at it as your partner uh and not your foe and then to treat it well you know then it really boy your body will reward you so quickly i mean that's why even five ten minutes of exercise improves brain function and health it rewards you so quickly with a very small investment. Beautiful. You alluded to feeding it well. How about nutrition? Yeah, well, if you think about your cells all being made up of the building blocks in what you put into your, you know, the fuel that you put into your body, then, you know, you want to build um, a, a body that is uh, able to function well, and nutrition is the building blocks. So you want to pay attention to those building blocks. Um, I do think there's a lot of genetic variability around what's optimal nutrition for different people, and I think that's what makes nutrition such a difficult field right now because everybody's got their favorites, and I think people tend to lean on their favorite diet because that happens to be the one that gives them the most energy and gives them the best sense of well-being and you know doesn't put weight on. Um, and I, as a coach, I can tell you, you know, people need to find their own formulas. You know, there are some basics. We, we all want to eat more plants and fruits and veggies. That's great. And eat healthy fats and lean proteins and lots of water and a little bit of wine. But after that, you know, people really need to figure out what their optimum nutrition is so that they have plenty of energy as well as, uh, and I mean mental energy, you know, so the brain is functioning at a high level, uh, but they don't put weight on. And and usually when you focus on your energy, you don't want to eat the French fries because they make you feel crappy an hour later. And when love- people start to really notice that, yeah, that I do feel crappy after the pizza or the Coke or the – then they're using their bodies to tell them what is good. I like the fact that you bring it down to a cellular level because that's really where it is for me. What about uh, stress management? 
This is a big topic, and I do have a new technique um, that I'll be releasing uh, soon as a, a way to settle emotional uh, agitation. Stress is a, boy, it's a um, simple word to explain a very complex phenomenon. I mean, the way I think about it is that our emotions are the messengers of our genes telling us whether our needs are being met or not. And if you think about the mind as being multiple, then in any one moment, you'll never have all your needs met. It's not possible. You can't you can't be autonomous and serve other put other people first in the same moment. You can't have adventure and have safety in the same moment. So you're you're always going to have mixed emotions because some of your needs are met, some are not. And um and so it is so I think first thing is that emotions and some of them are negative, which is what feel like stress, um, are just are are you know the 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 mind's way or the body's way of telling us that something's not optimal. Uh, and so we've got a choice then, you know, that we can, you know, it, it used to be that the best way to deal with it was to go run. <laughs> That's what I did for, <laughs> mm-hmm. because if you exercise, you know, the prefrontal cortex is better able to handle the stress. Now we've got a whole bunch of whole, a whole bunch of new techniques and I think there's a lot of variation still to come. So we've got meditation, which is the idea of getting some distance between you and your emotions. So they're not they're not driving you. You you can see them and separate from them and get some distance, and that brings more wisdom and more agility around them. And then you have things like acceptance and commitment practice, where there's a whole set of steps of accepting your emotions, leaning in, having them surge, and then finding meaning in the moment, finding the message of the moment. You've got Kristen Neff's self-compassion model, which is, you know, hands over heart, I feel for my own suffering. And and that's Mother Nature's way of releasing oxytocin, which settles the, the negativity. Um, so, you can change the channel to something positive which is the positive psychology approach, you know, just move to something you're grateful for. So, so we're in a really cool time right now around how to navigate emotions. And so stress, stress management is kind of a little tired as a concept. And, and I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more nuanced ways now to help people because essentially it's your being telling you what it means to be you in this moment there's a whole lot of wisdom there, um, and uh, and I think there's you know th- this is kind of where I'm focused as a coach and as a trainer. I mean, I, I, is is really helping people navigate how to suffer well, as I call it. <laughs> how do you use the negative emotions for good? Right. And so, yeah, it's a fun topic, and lots like, more to come. No, go ahead. Lots, lots more, more to come. To come. Yeah. I like the idea of uh, emotions as the messenger of the genes. That's very interesting for me to think about. How about sleep? Yeah, well, talking about yin-yang, you know, we need to put out in the world and then we need to rest. And um, I wish the body did not need rest, <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion. it's <laughs> uh-huh. Overrated? It, well, it's just it's a lot. It takes a lot of time out of your life, right? And you know, and you, have, you have crazy dreams, and you wake up and say, "Oh God, like why?" You know. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, the fact is, it's it's Mother Nature's uh, rhythm, right? Right. Um, you you've got 
your active mode and you've got your recover mode. And we in today's society don't do so well at the recover part. And, um, and the fact that people aren't sleeping well is a sign of that. We're not good at unplugging and, and decompressing and pulling away. You know, somebody once said, you know, when you want to shoot an arrow far with an archery, with an, uh, with a bow, the further you pull it back, the further it goes. And you can look at that as a metaphor of rest. The deeper your rest, the further your arrow will go when you're in active mode. So we've forgotten this wisdom around rest. And um, it's when all of our organ systems recover. It's when the immune system gets a reboot. It's when our emotions get integrated. So you wake up uh, you know, having slept on things and calm down. Um, so it's a vital part of being human. And uh, it's like, it's like moving the body. We've had to create whole f- scientific fields out of something that was really obvious before we lost the wisdom. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Spirituality. Yeah. I was, um, huh, I went the, to that's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I was just reading something about this this morning. You know, I think spirituality is as unique as each each of us in terms of what that means to us. And I think we all have to find our own way around what that is. Um, and thankfully, there's lots of options out there. You know, there's a lot of different religions. There's a lot of ways to use religion, religious teachings. There's lots of secular approaches to spirituality. Um, and, you know, I think it, I think it, for me, it boils down to appreciating that there is some benevolent consciousness out there, whether it's the collective consciousness or whether it's some all, you know, large energy field like a god, um, to appreciate that, 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 that's out there. And I think that that collective consciousness is benevolent. I do think it's, not benevolent. It's benevolent in the way humans experience things, not maybe the way a tree does or or um, a planet. But there's some positive charge to consciousness, you know, that draws us all to be good, you know, some of the time at least. Um, so, or do things that are good for all of us. So I, I think there is something, and I I think. Um, the more, and if if nothing else, um, we find more peace of mind just knowing that there's something greater than us, and it may just be a protective mechanism. You know, it may just be the way the mind works. You know, that if we knew we were just alive and dead <laughs> without anything else, you know, why would we bother, right? You know, so it may well be a whole meaning making system that we've created. Or maybe there is something greater out there, uh, but sh- sure, it sure is the case that people with spiritual lives are happier and healthier. That's so true. So it, it's uh, you know you have to pay attention to it um, because it does matter to people. Um, it does make a difference in people's lives and health. All right, excellent. And now finally, patterns of behavior, and I think that's probably an area that you work on a lot. Yeah, so that really is the software thing, you know, that, really? that, that, yeah, that, you know, we are a collection of automatic habits and some will imposed on our environment and our worlds. And um, this is my next 
I'm working on a digital platform for habit making. Hmm. Partly because it's it's actually the a lot it's the most tedious part of coaching is helping people make and practice habits because there's no easy software to do that. You know, you don't put them on your calendar, you know, maybe you write them on the back of your hand or you've got a piece of paper, a, a post-it note on your computer or whatever. It's very hard to find systems that are simple ways of making habits, which is why it's not that easy to do. You forget, right? You know, you had good intentions to stretch every night for 15 minutes and two weeks go by and you just forgot. Right. It just, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I do think that's the last mile of change, um, that it's the practice and practice and more practice and unpacking it and harvesting it and learning and changing and adapting that requires an enormous amount of self-regulation, which is why coaching also why coaching is helpful because that self-regulation is, takes a lot of time and effort. And if you, if you, if you fold it into a coaching relationship now it's got a focus it's got energy behind it so yeah habit making is a big part of being human because your habits make you in the end so it's something to pay a lot of attention to great christina uh, before we get to a health tip any uh, questions or thoughts (laughs) (laughs) i love i i love all the pieces that uh margaret you have placed into um uh, Glenn's six points is six steps <laughs> to balance life. So I, I look forward to your software. I have to say that <laughs> <laughs> since we're all techie on this side of the board. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I was going to show you the thing on my Apple watch, but I don't have my watch on, so I won't be able to do that, but I will soon. Great. Look forward Excellent. to it. Meg, we're coming close to the end of our show and we always ask our, uh, wonderful guests for a health tip. You've given us so many already, but I'm looking for one more. Well, one of the simplest things coaches do is to follow the energy. So whatever makes you feel good inside and out, like, you know, you actually, the the pleasure of feeling good physically and emotionally and spiritually, though, that's the sign from your genes that that is what you need. And I think just paying attention to that mm. is the simplest thing I can offer right now. That's beautiful. Uh, Margaret, in in preparing for this talk, was there anything that you really wanted to bring out that we didn't get to today? You know, let me just f- close with the, the yin-yang notion. Um, which is that the secret to living well is to live well, to do things that really energize us, and to suffer well. And by that, I mean learn from the suffering so that you turn it into living well, Mm. which means it's all good. Right. The good and the suffering. Um. Now, I I don't, you know, losing a child, there are some horrible kinds of suffering that I don't want to make light of. They do change people forever, and I don't think people recover from some of these big, you know, big traumas. But for the most part, day to day, you know, to, to enjoy the good, suffer well, so that it becomes good too. That would be my simple, my simplest advice for the moment. That's great. We always can learn from suffering. I'm very grateful to our special guest, Margaret Moore, for sharing her wisdom, expertise, 
and all of her experiences with us. I'd like to also thank my teachers and healers for keeping me on my journey. Thank you, Yoga Hub, Christina, and Segovia for uh, allowing us to put Magical Medical Tour out for all of our wonderful uh, uh, viewers and listeners around the world. So thank you so much, Margaret. I look forward to getting together again on Magical Medical Tour. And until next time, I wish you all optimal health. Yes, thank you so much, Margaret Moore. You've just enlightened us on so many levels, and, and we hope to hear and see more of what you are doing in this wonderful world of ours. And of course, thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for another great show. And we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath, or follow him on Twitter. Uh, uh, sorry, follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. You can connect with Margaret Moore through her website, coachmeg.com, and through her Facebook, Coach Meg, and Twitter, Coach Meg, at Coach Meg. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, we hope that this moment on YHTV has supported you or a loved one in some way, and we invite you to take a moment to like us or subscribe to our channel. We're always grateful for any feedback, comments, suggestions. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. Chronic pain, it turns out, has very little to do and very little correlation with uh, tissue damage. And it has more to do with uh, the brain mishandling the information, uh, either because of some genetic predisposition to pain or some early life predisposition to pain or uh, psychosocial issues. Uh, it's the chronic pain is more associated with brain phenomenon than peripheral phenomenon now there are obviously exceptions and that is uh